Hello, everybody. Have you ever reached out to a traditional recruiting agency to try to fill a role and then been shocked when you found out that they charge up to 30% of a first year salary? That could be $50,000 or way more. That's so unaffordable for an early brand. But there's great news. I am thrilled to announce that Startup CPG now has an official recruiting partner that I think is the best fit for emerging brands. They are called Creative Alignment. They're a top-tier recruiter, and the best thing is that they work on an hourly model called time-based recruiting. Often, you could fill a position with them for just 10 to 12% of a first-year salary, and if you work with them on multiple roles, you could save even more. They've worked with RX Bar, Cauli Power, Kodiak Cakes, Olipop, and so many other brands, and they are extremely well-regarded within our Startup CPG Slack community. So if you're considering hiring, I really recommend reaching out to them for a free consultation. You can visit their website at creativealignments.com or email them directly. Our contact is frank.milianti, that's M-I-L-I-A-N-T-I, at creativealignments.com. So the older your product is, the closer you are to the center, and thus the more connected you are to everything that has come set. And you see a lot of examples of that. That is how Amazon works, right? I mean, Amazon, if you boil down Amazon, it is a search engine that wants to show people what it thinks they're going to buy. That's the whole thing. It doesn't necessarily look at the highest bid for advertising or things like that. It's like, what is the thing that we know is going to turn into a conversion right now? And we're going to prioritize that organically. That's just how rankings work. Or with advertising. Hello, CPGers. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Scharf. Today's guest is Leon Lewis from my favorite Amazon agency, Daybreak Growth. I've worked with Leon on my brand and hold him in such high regard because he is a super smart and interesting guy who is just a great fit for emerging brands because he has a very reasonable retainer, not that 5,000 a month crazy thing you get from big agencies. And he gets great results that you understand because he talks you through it ahead of time and you know where you're going and can evaluate it with him over time. So listen in to hear about his professional journey, and later in the episode, we get really tactical. We're talking through his useful tips for what it's like your first year on Amazon, some really cool things and low-hanging fruit that will help your brand. If you want to reach out to him, his email is leon at daybreak.growth, and he's also on the Startup CPG Slack. All right, let's get to the episode. All right, welcome to another episode of the Startup CPG Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Scharf, and today we are diving into the world of Amazon. We're with our official agency partner, we think is the best partner for emerging brands because I've worked with. They're called Daybreak Agency, led by our friend Leon Lewis. Leon has an impressive background. He started his entrepreneurial journey as a gamer and a publisher. He later got into the music industry, he founded a record label that contributed to the success of artists like Future Islands and Kesha. And he was even the CEO of a leading ukulele company and is a master ukulele player himself. His career has spanned roles at Honer, Health Warrior, Rebel. And in 2019, he founded Daybreak Growth Partners, which is an Amazon and retail media strategy and management agency for new and growing CPG brands. Leon, because I've worked with you personally, I am so excited to not just partner with you, but also get to have you here on the podcast. Welcome to the show. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. All right. So let's get into it. 
I wonder, maybe we could just start with your background a little bit. Can you tell me, because you've had such a varied career in the background, and most people will be listening to this, but if you were watching the video, you would see the plethora of ukuleles in the background here. So who is Leon Lewis? Just tell us the story. Yeah, it feels like it gets weirder over time. I don't know. You know, I, I started my first business online in 1997. I was 12 in 1997 for the record. And I designed a board game and made a website and figured out how to sell it online and like got my mom to sign for like the one company that would process credit card transactions online at the time and everything. And it was successful. I mean, we made money. You know, my parents were very concerned. And, and all of that. And like, but I was a kid. I grew out of it. I'd always been a musician, got into the world of running a record label, did that for a long time. I ran a business online all through high school, paid my way through college doing it full time. I kind of got out of that for a variety of reasons, you know, 2008 and kind of the financial crisis was one of them and some personal things were a part of it. And yeah, moved to the world of Honer, you know, Matthias Honer had been to the harmonica in the 1850s. And, you know, I came into that company, the U.S. office, and we were just starting to sell online as well as we had a massive retail distribution. And I was kind of the only person that, you know, knew how to figure out Amazon, you know, at the time and even Guitar Center and eBay was really huge. And, you know, I mean, this was very early on. I mean, we helped launch the musical instrument category at Amazon when Amazon was still launching, news, you know, and we were beta testing advertising on Amazon, if you can imagine that. Did that for a long time, ended up being put in charge of their uh, ukulele company, Lanakai, which at the time was the large world. We scaled that up. We sold it in 2015. And I was here in Richmond, Virginia, and Shane Emmett, that was the founder of Health Warrior. And they're trying to get someone to help with digital in like Richmond in 2015. Like people just weren't applying for the job. <laughs> I was like, I'll give this a shot. Like this seems interesting. And Health Warrior sold to Pepsi. I spent a little time at Rebel and I didn't come from the agency world, you know, in the music industry and stuff that wasn't really a thing, having all these agencies and service providers. I always just kind of felt like there was room to do it a little bit better and do it a little bit differently. And 2019 at Expo East, I had a friend of mine, Rusty Porter, was like, just follow me around. You'll meet people that watch her. And I think the first three people we talked to were like, you know, an Amazon guy. And I was like, yeah, okay. And figured out how to start from there. And we've grown very organically since, right? I mean, we have this great official partnership with Startup CPG, which look, it helps us get clients, but it also just helps me be engaged and take calls with the community and help people. You know, our team has grown. We're nearing a dozen people and we're still referral only, right? I mean, our average retention is 18 months, right? So we just have these good, authentic, longer term relationships. And it's been fun to kind of come into it and develop this. I really appreciate that about you. I think you don't even really have like a LinkedIn out there. I was really excited when I first got to meet you through somebody in the channel who was like, yeah, this is the guy. If you're an early brand and you don't want to kill yourself on a retainer, this is the high performance guy to work with. And so I was just super impressed working with you, I think, just mainly because of how realistic you are about everything. Like you will show people the PL and like, look, this is what you're going to convert most likely. And if you put in this much money, here are the sales that it could be for you through the first 12 months of the business. Like this is probably what it's going to look like, kind of like a flight path. And it may not be the thing that you want it to be, or it may be a lot better than you expect, but whatever it is, you know, we're going to learn through this together. And so the, for me, the process just kind of made a lot of sense and just overall very reasonable. I also, I was going to ask you, so, you know, I'm also a musician, not a successful one, but I really enjoy the process of it. When I meet other musicians, sometimes they'll say things like, hey, you know, what's it like to launch a CPG product? I'm like,
like, well, it's a lot like trying to make it as an artist as well. Actually, the process for me is so similar of you're developing a product. Maybe you're out there in the studio or you're practicing and you're really trying to get the product that you're bringing to market to the best place that it can be. You're trying to develop a core audience. You're figuring out who it speaks to. And you, I mean, you know, things just don't get discovered on Spotify. Like you're out there marketing it. You're doing concerts the same way that we're out there doing digital marketing and demos and building your audience. What do you think? Any other parallels that you see? Well, you know, I mean, there's no one investing in bands. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> getting investors and backing is a challenge for sure. And it's definitely, I mean, I think you go through rounds of iteration. I think a lot of people always say that like many bands, they put out a first album you know, and you have some success and then like the second album's kind of a dud and you come back to it with the third iteration. I think we've seen a lot of brands have their first innovation and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, well, we learned a little bit and now we're going to do it, a, you know, our third product line really failing. <laughs> so it's totally, it's that you have to work until it just really starts to flow, you know, and it's also one of those things like music and brands. I think you said that critical mass of like, hey, we put out enough flyers, we gave out enough demos, we gave out enough samples, you know, all of that, that like we just started to actually. Yeah. Then all of a sudden it starts feeding itself and you get the word of mouth going. I was really interested when, you know, I was just learning about what I needed to do when I was putting out my first album and talking to other musicians, somebody who I really respect who had helped with the production of the album. She wears really cool glasses and has a total look that works for her. And I was asking her about it. She's like, yeah, well, here's the coach who worked with me on that and helped me figure out like who I was and then how I wanted to present to the audience. And then that was my thing. So like a pretty interesting kind of a parallel to a lot of the branding and marketing stuff that we all work with as well. So total tangent here, but I know you and I both love this topic. Hopefully it's interesting to everybody out there who's listening. And if it's not, then, well, you know where the fast forward button is. So yeah, getting into the Amazon world that early, pretty interesting to me. I have a family friend, his name is Michael Lazaro. He had an agency in the very early days for Facebook marketing. It was called Buddy Media, and then he sold it for a bajillion dollars. And I just was so fascinated by the people who can figure out the emerging technology and how to build services business around that, where then they are the first ones who know how to do it. And then when people kind of realize you're the person that they call, did you ever feel that way about the Amazon business? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, all of these things started off like relatively, Amazon was just much more simple previous, right? I mean, you know, the cost of advertising is just one of those things where it's like the business was much easier to run and build and invest and grow because the cost of advertising was just like 10%. And I think even when I was running my record label, like we were a record label, but we had about 5,000 items that we sold. We were a, a mail order. <laughs> you know, and and we designed a platform that like basically is what shops, right? And and it was so interesting to just kind of see these very simple concepts that were very practical really, really emerge and become like a part of a much kind of more complicated whole. But like fundamentally, they're still the same, right? Those fundamentals still matter. And I do think that, you know, one of the things that I try to encourage people to really look at is zoom out and like, let's look at the whole business. Let's like, where are we going? Like, what is our 12 month plan? What is the financial outcome of that? Because I think sometimes, you know, forest for the trees, you know, whatever, you know, analogy you want to use, we get too zoomed in. I also think sometimes e-commerce is over-specialized now, you know, and it's like, if you nail the fundamentals, many, many other things fall into place, right? There's a million metrics for e-commerce, but there's like five that you have to nail. 
and then everything else kind of sorts itself out. What are those fives? <laughs> it's like, I mean, do people convert on the product, right? I mean, that's obviously critical. And that's a reflection of, again, it's like the right pack size, the right creatives, conversions, really critical. Repeat and retention rate is an important part of that, not just as a whole, but then your lifetime value is really, really critical. And then obviously kind of your cost of advertising, your tacos, your total advertising cost of sales over time. How is that evolved, right? And like on Amazon, if you run an advertising report, there's like 50 columns. And it's like when I run those reports, I just delete like 45. It's like, okay, these are the things that are really going to matter. And the rest is valid if we really need to dig in, but it's also annoying, you know, versus the holistic piece of it. So, you know, from some ways, I mean, it's a combination, I think, of looking at it from a fundamental perspective and then also, you know, just being able to look at it as your own consumer, right? And and honestly, I mean, founders are, you know, it's like we love the founder community, like the passion that people have. But sometimes it's like, well, like, let's really like boil it down to the fundamentals. You know, like I try to take calls with as many people as I can, even if they just have questions and people come to me with these questions. I'm like, you don't need to worry about this anytime soon. It's like this is so, so much further down the track track for you, like let's align on where you're at today. And so I think kind of helping to guide that and presenting things, I think in a relatively simple light, because it's like, again, we know if we nail some of these fundamentals, then everything, everything makes sense. All right, cool. So getting back to some of those formative experiences for you on Amazon, and you know, I don't know if you would say it was like more health warrior when you were at Rebel, what were you learning in those days? What were the key things that you were learning yourself about Amazon that would then later lead you to start Daybreak? I mean, I think one of the things Health Warrior was a venture back brand and like grocery was crazy high growth at the time and everything. And, you know, one thing that we thought was that there were just always like there's just someone that just hadn't back, you know, and it was just like, oh, we just have to find the person that's just going to like we just haven't figured it out, you know, and we definitely learned over time like, oh, no. We have to do that. <laughs> like we have to do the hard stuff. That was one part of it. You know, the other thing was that even, you know, and this is 2015, 2016 or so, even back then we were seeing increasing cost of advertising. We also started to realize at that point that big CPG would do anything to protect its turf. You know, that was a really big thing that we learned in the bar set. And that sometimes being that high growth brand is it puts you in that middle ground where the big brands are like, this is our number one person to go after. And then the small brands are like, we just have to take what they have. We would end up in this very interesting middle ground. But the other thing that we really started to dig into and got us, kept us actively investing in the brand was that we saw repeat and retention was healthy and that we were building more, more momentum against it, right? We didn't have great tools to measure that, you know, at the time, but like now we do. And that's one thing we really dig into. It's like, we're talking about CPG, we're talking about consumable products, you know? And so rarely are people buying a snack and they have it one time and that's they just never buy. Right. So like those are things that are very green or very red flags. So, you know, it's like if we can be early stage with the brand and say like, hey, your repeat and retention is great right out of the gate. We have people already placing their fourth or fifth order. We could just stretch this out over a 24 month period and you're going to get really excited right, about like the outcome. And those customers just build more and more profit dollars time, right? Conversely, right? I mean, we also see brands where the discussion's more like, hey, like you really need to think about price point or the conversion or, you know, like the overall product promise and everything. And maybe like Amazon's going to teach you a hard lesson right now and maybe take a pause, do that work and come back and let's try it. Right. Yeah. Super interesting. I was just remembering, I used to work at Mars Chocolate way back in the day and they were just starting to think about Amazon way later, probably than they should have in retrospect, because Hershey's was doing five or 10x 
what they were doing because they weren't paying attention to it. I mean, it is pretty interesting for a legacy company like that to think about like, okay, they're just not spending the resources, but they're not getting started. And, you know, I think to your point around, it doesn't just happen overnight. Like you got to put in the work. It's like with anything in life, you know, I would, I think the temptation is for us to see there are a couple people out there that I don't know, go viral for some reason. You're like, yeah, we just need to do that. There's almost no strategy where you're actually going to make that happen. To the Bitcoiners out there, like probably the people who already made that filthy money already have it. And it's going to be very hard for you to make it very simply. And, you know, I think I've learned that lesson also with Startup CPG. I mean, going back four or five years, like fighting for every single user we really wanted to have join the Slack, you know, and then we just put in the work and demonstrated the value. And then four or five years later now, everybody is telling their friends to join and the growth is really organic and it just happens in a, in a really nice way. But man, it takes a lot of work to actually make that happen. Well, and Amazon is interesting because I told a couple of people today, I was like, the number one resource on Amazon is time and market. And that is, I mean, if we're talking about startup CPG brands, right, that is like the thing that we don't have, right? And so there's a lot to be said for like, I consider Amazon an ever-expanding. So the older your product is, the closer you are to the center, and thus the more connected you are to everything that has come set. And you see a lot of examples of that. That is how Amazon works, right? I mean, Amazon, if you boil down Amazon, it is a search engine that wants to show people what it thinks they're going to buy. That's the whole thing. It doesn't necessarily look at the highest bid for advertising or things like that. It's like, what is the thing that we know is going to turn into a conversion right now? And we're going to prioritize that organically. That's just how rankings work or with advertising, right? And so that's why when you're a smaller brand, you have to pay a crazy premium. You have to like tempt the algorithm and be like, you know what? We're going to take that. We may not sell something, but we're going to take this higher bid versus the Pepsi or the Coke that's just there. And that's a very interesting, you know, way to think about it, right? I mean, is it exactly wired that way? Mostly. But, you know, Amazon doesn't really talk about exactly how it's wired, but that's how we approach it. That's how we see it work, you know, practically. It is something to be said about starting that process. And even if it isn't time for explosive growth, it's like, well, let's get you moving. There's also a lot of categories when we think about beverage and stuff like that, that like online is just going to increasingly be a receptacle for your brand growth and demand, right? I always tell beverage brands, might've told you this at some point, but I mean, you know, if I love a product, so Rebel's a good example. You know, when we started at Rebel, there was no e-commerce. Everyone thought I was insane for wanting to launch it. And when we launched, we had a crazy high average order value. And, you know, it's like, why is this happening? Well, if you go to Whole Foods on like a Saturday, as many people do, most people shop for groceries on the weekend, it's like it's a super shop set, right? Any brand. But Rebel or Protein Drink or Kombucha, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like if people love that, they want to have it all the time. And you kind of look like a weirdo if you're just like, I need like 20 of these off the shelf, right? Right. Or like, hey, like, could you go in the back and see if you have a couple of cases of this? So the logical thing to expect is people discover your brand, they love it, and they go online. That's how you really start to move units. And that's an interesting way to think about it too, right? So Amazon is both a growth opportunity, but it's also a place where even your best customers, they're not necessarily going to be big D2C shoppers anymore. They're going to come to Amazon, right? That is increasing. I mean, I see that and I shop that way myself also. I might find something that I like, but that I'm a big Amazon fan. like shopping on Amazon, at least personally, I get my groceries from Amazon fresh because they're the best prices, basically. I get my staples from them. I wouldn't necessarily, I feel like you can get bananas any color except for yellow from them. They just kind of <laughs> go from like green to brown, but for staples, they just have the best prices and it comes right to my door. So I definitely appreciate it. And also just the ease of getting 
everything right. on Amazon. I don't want to enter my info into a bunch of different websites and get all the emails from them and have to enter my credit card info and passwords that'll definitely get leaked at some point by some people. So I mean, I, yeah, personally, that's definitely how I shop. So uh, yeah, so getting back, if you're a new brand and you're thinking about how to go to market, who is Amazon going to be right for? Who should think about Amazon as a big part of their strategy versus who might it not be right for? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, perishable is going to be really hard, right? Early on, I mean, that's one thing that's challenging. The other thing that we see is really challenging, frankly, is beverage, right? I mean, I've had those conversations, you know, even with, you know, beverage brands where it's just, it's like, look, if you've never had something and you're just a regular consumer, it's like, are you going to buy a whole case of them to start? And that's going to be your first experience? Like, boy, that needs to be like a great product detail. <laughs> It'll be, you know, to like, to win that. And that's exactly what we see, right? I mean, it's not like it's a wrong place to start, you know, but it's a particularly challenging. And things like you're going into like a particularly competitive vertical, protein powders, protein bars, and stuff like that. You know, I think that there's a lot of work that you can do in retail, in store, and Amazon can certainly be a part of it to start to just understand that message, you know, that, that really drives it home, right? So Amazon can be the right place to start, but also some categories are more expensive to break into. And I think like one thing to look at, I mean, there's a lot of great tools out there, you know, the Helium 10s of the world and Jungle Scout and all that stuff. You can download and really look at your category, right? And so if you're in a category, you look at Amazon and it's like, hey, you know, most of the revenue in this category is tied up in three huge brands that I see everywhere. If you see that it's like, oh, there's a ton of interesting brands comparable to me that seem to be having this healthy, maybe not huge, but like 10, 15, 20 grand a month. That's like, cool. Like, you know, we can probably build towards that. Right. So a lot of it, I mean, you can do some basic analysis, you know, in the space yourself. Sometimes we see that certain categories really under index and it's surprising. Salad dressings is a weird one. Like if you look at the salad dressing category on Amazon, it's pretty small. Like big brands are not selling that much salad dressing and small. I wonder why. Why there? I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's one of those things, I guess it's like, it's always there. And like, you're going to buy it when you go to buy the veggies. So it's not necessarily an afterthought for Amazon. You know, it's like, it's just been one of those things that really like, it's kind of mysterious and interesting and weird how it shakes out versus other verticals. You know, anything with the word energy related to it, explosive right now, tons of room to just like drive trial but expensive to break in. So it's the ecosystem is interesting because it has every little niche has evolved. And, and in some ways, you're right about bars. We've had the pleasure at Daybreak. I'm super proud of it. We've worked on a lot of legendary candy brands, Big League Chew and Warheads and, you know, and stuff like that. And it's awesome. And it's like in a lot of these guys, like they just never got around to like thinking about it. Like that's not most of the candy we eat in this country is manufactured in this country. They're legacy companies, you know, it's like and this has been pretty far down the track for them. So it's been commercialized much later, you know, where the brands actually take charge of it versus others have been really played out. So it's been really interesting to see that and then to see like where certain brands are able to drive outsized impact in their category or start to really change the narrative. Right. We have a nut butter client that make a cashew butter, but they can sell against almond butters and peanut butters and keto butters and not keto butters and protein peanut butter. And it's such an interesting narrative for them because, hey, we take that to the Thrive buyer or the Whole Foods buyer. And it's like, look at this data. Like we're not huge, but like no one else transcends the category. It's interesting to think about some products that just hit. So, you know, one example for me always comes to mind is Just Ice Tea, the new, you know, relatively new one from Seth Goldman bringing it back after Coca-Cola discontinued honesty. And I would be in Sprouts Innovation sets and there are a lot of drinks that just sit there and snacks that sit there and the Just Iced Tea is gone. 
you know, and it's such a simple product and, you know, it's a glass bottle and it's clear and it says just iced tea and it looks nice, but, you know, high quality, but pretty plain. And there's just something about it. You're like, I get it and it looks good and I'll take it. And I don't need to know who the brand is. And I don't know if they're doing much on Amazon or not, but I suspect it would do really well there as well because it's just such an easy concept. Probably shipping glass is not the easiest thing for them to do. But in general, I feel like that's an easy one to take a flyer on if you're you know, shopping on Amazon and it has good reviews. Like, yeah, I'll take that versus a lot of other stuff where you're like, yeah, do I want a whole case of this thing? Like, I hate waste more than almost anything. Like, I do not want to have 12 of those and have to get rid of 11 of them if this thing doesn't taste good. Whereas if I'm like, let's say if I'm all in on CMOS and then I go on Amazon, like I'm just going to get the one that has the best reviews. It seems like a good deal. You know, and I wouldn't know any of the brands. So yeah, pretty interesting to think about the dynamics of categories where there are strong brands, but maybe not strong premium brands or no one's really doing a good job. And they're just like, maybe not a lot of competitors on there and their legacy brands, I guess, same as retail. Well, and I think that like, look, I mean, this space is just developed. I'm looking forward to Expo this year, like I do every year, because I just now I'm going to walk around and just be like, I thought I knew this industry. You know, it's like there's just so many new things emerging. And it's interesting when you talk about we started working on Eat the Change, like probably six months before it even launched the first product. It later became Just Ice Tea. And yeah, and just watching that whole transformation, I mean, obviously getting rid of Honest Tea was just a ridiculous decision they made. But like, I think Just Size Tea fits because it's maybe in some ways like not threatening, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, good. Like, this is just good iced tea. I like the story behind it. You don't necessarily know that it's honest and that whole story, right? And it's sometimes I think that that can work really well versus like sometimes if people come to me and they say, we want to launch on Amazon and we're doing something no one has ever done before, that's actually like one of the scariest because it's like Amazon is very much about putting things in the right box, right? You search for protein powder, no one's trying to sell you workout clothes, right? I mean, it's very much in its own box. So if you're like, oh, we have a new box that no one else is in, it's kind of scary, right? And I mean, and that's something that like maybe you can have, you know, a lot of adoption for that, but online channels can be a particular challenge, you know, especially on yeah. market. Be expensive, yeah, to teach that to everybody. But yeah, and then, you know, I've worked in the energy drink category and I was just blown away by the volume that Celsius was doing online. And actually, the thing that surprised me most was their price point. But yeah, I mean, I talk about a consumer's dream for that because it, if you like that product and yeah, you don't want to go into the grocery store and just like buy a 24 pack and have to carry it, then you can go on Amazon and it's, I mean, a fraction of the price, honestly, to get it shipped to your house. I don't know how they do that, but I mean, it's cheap and obviously it's very much on trend right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I'll dig into Amazon a little bit because I know the answer for some of that, which is, you know, I mean, if you look at big CPG, right, like within Amazon, one of the things that Amazon has really pushed them to do, right, is to match their pricing. And that goes from Pepsi to Coke to a thing of McCormick-like season, right? And so, like, they have, you know, big CBG, like, they're not making any money on Amazon, for sure, right? I mean, you see that. And Amazon, I mean, a lot of the pretty high fees that independent brands are paying, like, they're definitely subsidizing, like, the really, really crazy deals that Amazon's able to put out. Like it's totally true. Right. And so it's it, it's very interesting to do like to work through that and and some of the battles that it's like, man, this is just going to actually be impossible to like be on parity with some of these like big name brands. And that is what makes us have to work much, much, much harder. Right. I've worked on a few conventional like mainstream brands. I'm like I like the weird stuff. So like not a ton, but it's very interesting to me how kind of easy, much easier it can be than like the premium or just the unknown or the really leading edge. It's like like it's actually just much, much harder work. So like if it feels like it is, 
That's interesting. I, I, that honestly didn't even occur to me. I should have asked you before about it. But that, yeah, okay. Amazon probably is subsidizing that heavily. I'm sure there are a bunch of really happy consumers out there that are extra locked into Amazon because they're getting such a good price on that. Like, wow, Amazon's the best for everything, man. I'll get all my stuff from them, even the higher margin stuff. So that's very good to think about. Okay, so let's say you're a brand and now uh, you have decided Amazon is going to be an important part of your strategy. How should you think about it then? So when should you launch? it and how much money are you going to need to make it meaningful for you so you aren't just kind of tossing it away and not investing enough in it or investing too much and probably not getting good ROI because you're kind of forcing it? Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely tell brands, I mean, you have to be in a position to spend at least $2,000 a month on it, right? I mean, that's enough. Like in our, you know, from our perspective, that's enough to like learn, you know, and scale things and see if they work and keep going, you know, and and build the momentum to actually get organic traffic growth, get a little bit of ranking and, you know, basically spend the flywheel, right? And of Amazon and get all the gears turning. And anything less than that, it's like you may be successful, but you just you can't get momentum and it just ends up being this very... The other thing is we definitely speak with brands that say, you know, Amazon has to be profitable from one. And it's like, I can't, I just can't promise you that. Like I can't make an honest projection that shows that if you're a new brand, right? Like you can't say, oh, and by the way, we have a hundred thousand followers on TikTok and we're just going to push them all to you, right? I mean, that's obviously free traffic, free sales, but we try to build a model and a projection that kind of starts from scratch. And, you know, what we typically find with brands is that we can get them to profitable within six to 12 months while building a business that's going to get into five figures from zero within that period, you know, spending that $2,000, maybe we increase it to 25 hundred or 3k you know later in the year and then the interesting thing is it's a lot about we can build that longer term plan as you get to the end of year one it's like oh it's pretty good outcomes like, yeah now let's just extend that 12 more months and it's like hey look revenue is that much higher subscribers are that much higher and you know really having a firm grasp on the financials the outcome how that's going to develop over time and repeat that's the stuff that you need to be paying attention and so we did a webinar with you recently if anybody wants to check it out it's on our vimeo page vimeo.com slash startup cpg and we went through the model that you know I've seen you go through before, and it's just a really helpful way to think about it. So you project out the 12-month sales and return for a brand by top line of the model is going to be how many people are likely to visit your brand organically, how much of that are you, what's your conversion rate expected to be for that? And then you could go into, great, now if you're throwing money into ads, and then what's your conversion rate going to be for that? What is the average revenue that you can expect per customer? What is the typical cost per customer that you're going to get by month, which is going to change? So if you can imagine all the columns that will go into this model, you can project out a pretty nice P&L for the year. That's, yeah, it's going to be pretty accurate. That's what I'm talking about when I tell people like Leon's very reasonable at all. Just like the assumptions all make sense and they're not all going to be 100% true, but it's a pretty good roadmap. And I think it's, we look at it that way. I mean, we want to be excited about Amazon and we are excited about Amazon and it is a big opportunity, but it's like, well, yeah, but all this stuff has got to come first. And like month one is not going to be like month 12. You have to really understand the difference. And then part of it's just education aspect. So what'll be the biggest things that'll change over the course of that year? I'm guessing like you're not going to have much of a track record there. So people won't trust your product as much. So maybe initially the cost per acquisition of, of a customer is going to be a little bit higher. It could go down over time. Maybe you can also figure out how to get the average revenue up a little bit higher once people trust you more, get your retention up. Conversion rates really change a lot, right? Because when you start off, you're not going to have many reviews, right? I mean, you don't need to get hundreds of reviews, you know, to build any confidence, but you know, 30 is a lot better than, and you know, month one, you're going to have three. <laughs> you know, and so 
So that's one thing that we change, see change pretty quickly, the cost of advertising, because, hey, you have to do testing for a little while. But then also, as you start to find your niche and consistently buy against it, like I was saying, Amazon's going to help. You'll pay less over time to buy the same ads because you're starting to get some traction. You can get some favorable you know, treatment from the algorithm and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, we really see conversion change a lot. And then obviously top line traffic, that momentum that we should start to see, right? Because especially in CPG, it's like, hey, guys, like... You know, we use this in the webinar. It's like we make mushroom coffee. So it's like it's not a big mystery, like the ads we need to buy. Right. So it's really about mining this like deeply, this vertical. And as you work through that, that can definitely have a big impact in your total result and your traffic and stuff like that. And we will be right back. Hey, listeners, are you working on your email and SMS marketing strategy and not getting the results you're looking for? Or do you wish you had a little more time and a lot more resources? Don't worry, Strategy Maven has your back. Building a successful strategy is no easy task, but their mavens or experts will help you establish an email and SMS marketing program that will attract, engage, and retain customers to help grow your brand. SMA is a perfect partner for you if you're not getting the results you're looking for, or your overall email attributed revenue is less than 30%, or you have way too much on your plate and not enough resources, or you started with another agency or freelancer and they dropped the ball. Strategy Maven Agency treats your brand as if it was their own. They provide the expertise and support your business needs to scale and thrive. Visit strategymavenagency.com to get started with a free consultation and don't forget to mention Startup CPG. And now back to the show. And, you know, speaking of the reviews, I think I've heard from you and other people, you need a critical mass of reviews. Like as a shopper, if I look at something and it has a five-star rating with 27 reviews, I'm like, well, those are fake and I shouldn't buy this yet. But if I, you know, okay, if I see 50, like, yeah, that's getting where I need it to be. If it's over 100, cool. It kind of depends on what it's up against, right? Like what's the other product I'm thinking of and how, if it has 500 reviews and it's a little bit lower, probably I would go with that one. So in the early days, what I see brands doing now is I hope nobody from Amazon is listening and works them all, but basically like you got to get those early ones and going out and basically just getting their friends to do it and saying like, hey, you know, please leave a review and even reimbursing them for the product. I've seen a lot of that. And, you know, just basically begging and pleading for actual reviews, you know, wait, order it, wait for it to get delivered. Hopefully you love it also. And then, you know, leave the reviews. Everyone you're working with, your sales team, your brokers, like stuff like that. Just put it on our invoice. Everyone open, take out your phone and buy it right now, (laughs) you know, and stuff like that. I mean, we like to get to like a hundred. It's like, once we're at a hundred, it's like, okay, this is going to be fine. You know, like the rate of review growth on Amazon has gone down quite a bit over time um, because it's a little bit less. You know, people are a little bit, you know, more used to e-commerce. It's also, frankly, it's hard to get people to say nice things in this country. It's very easy to get them to say negative things. So it's easy to get bad reviews if things aren't going well, you know, but the other stuff can be like pulling teeth. Number one thing that we tell early stage brands is like, you know, QR code or, you know, with a sticker on the back. It's a pain to do. Your 3PL is going to want to charge you for it. Just do it for your first couple of shipments and balance. Yeah. So you're talking like if you're a beverage, you mean on like the outside of the 12 pack, something like that. For sure. You know, one of the most successful things I'll shout out, you know, Tyler Dooley from Wake Up Water because he's such a great guy and impressive businessman. And, you know, I think I told Tyler, you know, I was like, hey, like just, you know, make a review sticker that says a review would mean the world to our small business or something like that. So I made this giant sticker for this little bag of Wake Up Water just said white paper, black text, like a review would mean the world with the QR code. 
and we got hundreds of reviews in like a couple of months. <laughs> you know, and it's like this works so well. Like this is the best thing. Yes, so. it's so impactful. And if you're listening right now to this podcast, a review would mean the world to us. So please go into Apple Podcasts and rate us. And we see every time that you do it, and we get so happy. So thank you. But back to the business at hand. Yeah, I'm sure it makes your job so much easier if a brand comes to you with those hundred reviews kind of ready to go. And then, you know, you've got the kindling all warm. It's ready to light up. Yeah, pretty interesting to think about. And then, you know, I had some experience with the Vine program. Amazon has this program called Vine where, hey, if you want, you can send people a certain number of free product. These are people who just love reviewing things on Amazon and they will give you some reviews to get started. But my experience was not so great on that program because you would send people a product and then their reviews are like, nah, I don't like this kind of product. One start. Like, don't do that, man. Just because, like you're not even the consumer for this thing. And so honestly, I really regretted it because, you know, if you send somebody potato chips and then they review it and they're like nah, i don't like high calorie stuff like yeah it's not for you you know please don't do that so i think you, you probably would recommend people at least start kind of small if they do something like that to see how it goes totally i mean look amazon amazon has struggled with you know with the vine program i think most people probably wouldn't remember or even know this but i when the vine program was first introduced i believe that the pricing was you could get five reviews and i think amazon charged like two thousand dollars for that that's <laughs> like kind of like some like insane amount of money. I was like, who would do this? And people were probably just signing up, right? But like, no small brands were actually going. So now they have this Vine program, and it has it started out great, but then like so many things on Amazon, a lot of strategies. Basically, once everyone finds out, and especially once like Chinese sellers, you know, find out and stuff, like the really like there's just tons of volume of, of those types of sellers. It's they just run out of quality. You know, that's what it is. And so you definitely have people that are buying reviewers. They leave like the minimum junkie reviews and then they like own a convenience store or they just have some outlet to sell. So they're just getting free product from Amazon. We've seen a whole bunch because we've seen people leave reviews that are just not at all relevant. The interesting thing about that recently, we had some that someone had a really bad experience. They gave away some product. They didn't even get the reviews. The reviews were not good. And Amazon said they basically sent us a link to the terms policy and said, hey, whatever reviews you get or don't get, sorry. It's one to approach cautiously, for sure. You can get up to 30 reviews, start with 10, see how it goes, because you can kind of dig out from 30's heart. All right. So now getting to the journey a little bit more. So yeah. let's say, you know, with brands that you start working with, for example, you know, what are the first couple of things that you're going to try to do for them to help them get set up, like looking at their listings or, you know, what are the first things you want to check? Totally. I mean, we definitely look at so, I mean, if you're a existing brand, we'll use that as an example, right? I mean, how have you been converting? Do we see that that's healthy? We like to see consumable brands be converting at 10% or both for advertising and work, right? And so if not, okay, let's take a look at the listings. You know, we've inherited so many businesses where it's like, oh, that ad agency is way bigger than us, like probably does a great job, but they didn't tell you, you know? And so that's something we could just really kind of eye it. And it's like, if you sell a drink and the second image is just the back of your can, but then, you know, it's like, okay, we need to work on this for you. And that's a big part that we really look at is essentially that the other thing we look at with advertising and, you know, if you just have an agency brand of any size, you know, it's like, hey, like export the keyword report from last month and sort by spend because it's like, you know, where's the money going? That's just my whole thing with my team. It's like, where's the client's money actually going? And we want 80 cents or more of every dollar to be going towards things that drive sales, right? So not wasteful, not testing too much. You know, we want to move towards performance. 
So that's a big part of it too, because we just find a lot of ads that are not super active. The other one, and this is a fun one, I probably don't mention that much. If you're on Amazon today as an existing brand and you're just kind of wondering what's going on, go to Ads Manager and click History. You can see every update, you know, that's being made there. It's timestamped, et cetera. We make, I mean, you know, on average, we're making like two to 3,000 updates, you know, to ads like over the course of it, right? I mean, for a brand that's probably spending, you know, call it three to $5,000. I mean, it's a ton of optimizations at half the time. We don't use software. We're doing that ourselves. And so that's um, that's definitely one thing to really look at as well. And for a new brand, it's kind of about building that structure, <laughs> you know, to be able to measure those things, right? It's like, we want to create creative. We want to really look at those conversion rates. Early on. Probably not going to be double digits out of the gate, but we like seven or 8%, it's 2%. Yeah, a problem, you know, and generally great creative. I mean, I, you know, it could look really beautiful, but also probably just needs to hit very hard and simply on the key attributes of a product. Is that right? And it's like, right. you know, I mean, it's like I probably use like the, you know, the dating app analogy. Where it's like it's all about appealing to consumers and they're not going to give you a ton of time. One thing that we're super guilty of, you know, many of us are, we look at Amazon on, we work within it. We look at it on our desktop. No one does that. It's like, it's all about the phone and mobile and everything. So I always feel the same way about web design. If I'm ever helping with a website development and I look at a desktop website, I'm like, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. And I never think about it that way, but yeah, I've almost never bought something on Amazon from my computer. I don't know. I would just never think to do it the same way. I would never think to buy salad dressing on Amazon. I don't know why it just wouldn't occur to me. That's pretty funny. I also, I really like that point you made about sorting based off dollar spend. I've always done that in my life. Anytime if it's like a consultant or, you know, a report brings me some kind of spreadsheet with numbers. First thing I do is just sort it based on dollar value. And then usually you could just look at the top 10 rows and really dig into it. And you're like, okay, well, here are the things we need to change. Well, and especially when we have, you know, I look at me, if you're a small brand, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, we can spend $2,000. And that's like, look in 2024 and CPG, that's real money for a new brand. And you just can't do it. Even if it is your main term, even if it is your, your mushroom coffee search term, and it's your main thing, if you're not converting against it, pull back, think about where else are we converting? There's got to be something, you know, if not, great, let's go back to that creative discussion. Let's play with pricing and stuff like that. All of these things are very, very important. And price testing is an important part. Okay, great. So then let's say you fix up the creative, it's super good. And then now you're trying to figure out what are the right keywords I need to start putting in for my ads to be ranking against. How do you typically find that out? I know like you can probably do a report and figure out what consumers are saying about it, but you know, what are all the ways? Yeah. I mean, you know, we definitely look at, so within brand analytics, if you're brand registered on Amazon, you can get all the access to the analytics dashboard for brands and you can actually take any of your competitors' ASINs. You know, it's like, this is who we want to be. It's like, cool. You can drop that into that tool and it will tell you all of the terms of their convergence, right? You can also use Helium 10 and stuff like that that will show you here's where they rank so that's pretty interesting too you know but like amazon the search query performance report i think that's what will basically show like oh these are the terms and you definitely find sleepers in there right that it's like oh i hadn't thought about this one and so you can really understand especially if it's a brand that is like high volume but maybe they're not a tail brand so they're not going to have that high brand search volume you know but it's like we know that they're selling a lot okay where's that coming from Right. And sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's mushroom coffee. Sometimes it may, might be something a little bit more long tail. That is a, a lower hanging fruit for you to go after, you know, as a smaller brand and stuff like that. And so that's, you know, that's a really good way to do it. And then, you know, we do, we love like the helium tens of the world and stuff like that. They'll really give us, you know, a ton of, ton of extra data. 
What's that other one that you mentioned where that brands can use now and even they can kind of get like a little freebie peek at their at the day? Oh, yeah. Well, Nozzle is one for LTV, right, that we really look at. So, you know, we love Nozzle because it gives us our, hey, like, okay, this is our, if anyone ever says like, what's our VP rate? That's a very, that's like a 2D, right? And so, because it's like, okay, great. In January, we had a thousand customers and 10% of them were repeat customers. So is it everyone's second order or their third order? You know, like how's their LTV developing? And one of the main arguments that used to be more popular for D2C versus Amazon was like, you don't get any of that cohort data and you can't really analyze LTV. Well, with Nozzle, that all just goes, like we get all of that data. Right. And so it's very interesting because we have brands where it's like, hey, like, we know you're a D to C, you know, focused brand and we just run Amazon for you. But like, check out our LTV growth on this channel. How does that compare to what you're seeing? See, honestly, like often we see that on Amazon, it can it grows faster. It can be healthier. Why? Because Amazon's the grocery store and your website is a specialty store. And like most people don't go to the farmer, the butcher, you know, and like make all those stops to do their grocery shopping in real life. It's the same thing with Amazon, right? So, so we love Nozzle for that because it, it really allows us again to tie it back into our model and is this moving in the right direction. Yeah, got it. Okay. So, and can you give us just a the little primer again on like FBA yep. and, you know, the distribution options and the costs for actually getting your product to people through Amazon? Totally. Yeah. I mean, look, Amazon, Amazon remains far less expensive than the average 3PL. That has definitely changed over time, right? But because 3PLs have become much more expensive. So Amazon realizes, hey, we're somewhere between 20 and 30% cheaper. Oh, these guys just got 20% more expensive. Cool. We're just going to keep that gap sinking, right? And uh, which is very interesting. Most brands, I mean, look, if you are a shelf stable brand and your product has, you know, a six or 12 or you know, 24 month shelf life, you need to ship in and do fulfillment by it. There's a couple of reasons. You know, number one, I mean, our Amazon is never going to prioritize a product that isn't fulfilled. You definitely are getting some level of like punished by the algorithm for it. The other thing, and a part of the reason why they do that, is conversion rates are just lower when you do your own fulfillment. And we've played that out. We've had brands that really wanted to do their own fulfillment. It's like, well, can we just try FBA? Okay, yeah. We bring in the product to FBA. It's like, hey, your conversion rate just went up like 35%. Like this business is just going to grow. Let's figure out how to get it in there. Doing your own fulfillment is definitely, it's a necessity for some brands. Certainly if you're a beverage, if you're something heavy, you're just never going to be able to keep up with Amazon's costs, right? Amazon has now been pushing their, you know, buy with Prime program, you know, really, really hard on brands. I understand why it's important. I understand the benefits of it. I think it's great, but it's also one of those things where it's like, look, it's actually, you should look at the rate card of standard FBA fulfillment versus buy with Prime. Buy with Prime is significantly more expensive, but you can keep your customers. Right. So you have to start to think like, how much is that actually worth? Right. Because you can just put a link on your website. Look, I mean, if you go to liquiddeath.com, where do they sell their water? It just says buy on Amazon and just takes you straight there. Right. Through the Amazon brand referral bonus, when you do that and link directly to Amazon, you get 10% back. So you can do buy with Prime and pay kind of a premium fee, but hey, you get to keep your customer or you can just push people to Amazon, get 10% back and, you know, pay the standard FBA fee. So question though. I like buy with Prime. I do. It has a reason to exist, but we just got to do the math and see what makes them sense. Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. What are some other low-hanging fruit type pieces of advice or things that people figure out working with you in the early days? I remember one thing was basically just had a group SKUs so that you could consolidate reviews within a product line so that they'd all roll up to the 
same thing, which would help you get to that 50 or 100 number faster. Any other things like that? You know, I mean, we can do more targeted advertising, you know, and uh, and targeted promotions on Amazon now. So, you know, really, I mean, if you have good repeat, it's like, hey, like we can run a subscription only coupon and we can run ads directly to people that have purchased before to get them to come back and start subscriptions and repeat, right? Often we find that, you know, a lot of agencies aren't building that out as much as they should. And like, we can do that and start to quickly grow that repeat. And then you start to lock that in. The second purchase is a little bit harder than the third, than the fourth, et cetera. You know, it gets easier every time. So we start moving that flywheel as one. The other thing is really looking at reviews and how we can start to pick that up quite a bit as well. And then the other thing is like, we look at, at these benchmarks very seriously because we come in and it's like, we'll look at the conversion and go, okay, yeah, we probably have a creative problem problem or a pricing problem and just get right to work with that stuff, you know? And so it is, it is important to like have a partner or just like take good notes for things like this and be like, okay, this is kind of where we should be. And if we're not like, this is what we should be talking and, and really looking at it there. The other thing is we do a lot of like listing cleanup and stuff like that. Usually there's a lot of elements of the account that are just aren't getting touched. It's like make sure every field in the back end and a lot of like that super nerdy stuff is done. It used to not be weighted as heavily on Amazon, but it's becoming more and more important as it becomes more and more uh, uh, competitive. Got it. So over time, let's say the things that people need from you in the first couple months go well and they're growing. What's the kind of stuff that really you're then going to be focusing on six, nine, 12 months down the line or that, you know, brands on their own? What are the different kinds of problems they're going to be facing at that point? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you just start to see definitely like just catalog systemic issues like are generally for a more mature business on Amazon. It's like, no, we grow the way that we want to, but Amazon just breaks stuff. <laughs> you know, So like revisiting, like you may have listings that you think are complete and they look really good. Go back and make sure everything is still there because like the algorithm will just make updates for you because it thinks it's more accurate. You know, that's one we really look at. If you are a more mature brand on Amazon or even if you're just a year, or 18 months in, again, I mean, it's like, I don't make any money for nozzle, but you know, it's like, you should go get that free 14 day trial, and really check in on what that is telling you. You know, don't just look at your base number of repeat, but like, where's this really going? We look at Amazon over time. Like one thing with most brands we work on, I mean, we kind of have like a 90 day engagement upfront that's a little bit more expensive because we do a lot of the lift and then we're off to the races and we have a plan and we know where we're going. And so like six, nine, 12 months in, I mean, we're, we're pacing towards that model and we've dialed it in and we've addressed the things and we just use that as our North star, right? And then we're able to really understand where we're going. I think some brands are, it depends on your situation. They're going to want to iterate and try to drive that explosive growth. I get it. Some people have the money to do that. Not everyone these days, you know? And so it is about like, is this getting healthier? And then really looking at and looking at the, maybe some of the smaller ways that you can start to improve your P&L. Okay, so Leon, because you see what happens across so many brands, you must have some ideas if you were going to launch your own brand onto Amazon now, instead of just being the one who supports really well all of these different brands, what's an example of something that you would go for or, or like key attribute you'd be trying to call out or something that you had learned about design and you know, you'd really want to just make that part of your strategy as you figured it out? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely have a list of things I definitely, oh, I won't get into those. But like, I think a lot of it, I mean, we see a lot of space in, you know, do you have products that are going to have like good ongoing usage that you can actually have a pack size that is accessible to people, you know, and while still having some kind of product format that can, you know, drive trial and get people through the door, right? I mean, 
we see that drink mixes obviously are a massive vertical on Amazon right now. There's a lot of reasons for that, right? I mean, it's like, it's so small. It's like the cost of shipping is basically nothing, you know, for products like that. So it's great to have good yeah. You're drinking one. I'm drinking, I'm drinking one right now. I love that actually. Well, but then we look at, at brands like that. I mean, I think for me, it's like, I would really look at a space that has not been commodified and where someone has not introduced like mushroom supplements are really challenging. Right. Because you'll have a brand that says, oh, we have this Rishi Cordyceps turkey tail, you know, like um, supplement and ours is $59.99. It's like, cool. This one is the exact same thing and it's $9.99, you know, and like, and so it's for the consumer, you know, unless they are really, really nerding out on ingredients or sometimes it's just that the brand's trying to get a crazy premium. It's we want to find a category that isn't that polluted and that we can definitely be in the middle. Right. So it's funny that you say that because I got on to drink mixes, you know, one of the tablets from a brand that had sent product into us. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, because I should be drinking and hydrating more. And so I started drinking it at home. I like a little flavor. It's nice. And then one day I went to, I was like, oh, it's kind of expensive. And one day I went to reorder. I think they were out of stock on Amazon. So the price was really high. I was like, well, all right, well, let me see what else is out there. And then I found a competitor that was way cheaper. I'm like, all right, well, I drink this now. And I'm like, but I feel bad for these guys because they basically brought me to the party. And then I just found found a, you know, a better option. So I could definitely, <laughs> I see what you're saying. It makes sense. So just so brands know, what do you, what does it typically cost for a brand to work with you? If they're like, obviously they need to have budget for the ad spend and all of that, but can you give kind of like a range just so people know? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we're definitely like starting brands around like, you know, the 23, $2,500 trade and to manage Amazon. And then we try to find efficiency over time. And there's a, like a big lift that goes into it up front. And then, you know, we try to say, hey, maybe we could take that down to like 18 or 1900 or something like that. It definitely varies. I mean, based off the catalog size and the ad budget and stuff like that. And but I think it's important to remember that looking at like for us, like we're a full service team, right? We run operations and we help with creative and strategy. So, I mean, you're really for like a super fair price in my perspective, just getting kind of like the full like, OK, cool. Amazon check. And we have that taken care of. And we feel better about that than trying to get four or five, six thousand dollars a month and say, we're going to blow this up. And then it's like, oh, we have to justify ourselves constantly and everything. So, you know, I would definitely like that's what I think is appropriate, like in the service space. And that's the range. One thing that really impressed me about you is I was always kind of wondering how you could provide so much service at the low rate. And then I learned, I think as I have figured out, you also have learned really to make use of incredible offshore talent where it can be much more affordable. And sometimes they just have so much more experience actually than people you might be able to find in the U.S. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, our team is split between the U.S. and India. I've seen, you know, I mean, definitely some people have like they use that as a selling point, like we're all based in the U.S. I'm like, great, you must be really expensive to work with. And the interesting thing is that if we look at India throughout from the dot-com bubble all the way up until now, it's just been looked at as like, oh, there's just tons of cheap labor, right? I mean, there's been an explosion in cell phone usage and e-commerce and internet access. It's really, it's a wild story if you look, look into it. But there's a ton of people that have been working in Amazon for five, seven, ten years. But they've gained a ton of experience, but you don't necessarily get the opportunity to like move up, right? And one thing that's important in India, right? I mean, most people know it's, it's multi-generational living. It's a very tight family thing. And so those opportunities may be in Dubai as a place that they're all moving to and everything, or, hey, you have to move to the US. Well, that's really hard. I mean, culturally, family-wise and everything. And so, look, I, I'm just straight up proud of the fact that it's like, 
we're able to take people that are very experienced, reward them with great jobs that they deserve. They've been working in the space longer than many people calling themselves experts and stuff, you know, and that money's going to supporting like a big family, you know, it's awesome. And then our team is super, super dedicated, really passionate people. We've everyone sticks with us for years. They're not trying to rapidly climb this thing. And e-com for me, I mean, look, I fully acknowledge I'm becoming like grumpy old man in the space, but it's like, it didn't used to be as greedy. I've looked at a lot of resumes and stuff people in the space and it's clear people are just trying to climb that ladder as much as possible and that that leads to more instability in my business and supporting your business right it also just is a crazy amount of cost you know if i hire four people that want to make 125 grand you know a year it's like great that's a half million dollars i have to come up with now um, and those people wouldn't necessarily be able to support that many businesses, right? I can I could pay an outsized salary in the developing world to have a really passionate team. And that's worked for us. And, and we're, we're really proud of that. I mean, uh, just, you know, having been a brand and worked with you and just being able to get that level of service and performance at a lower rate is really great. And then I think also, you know, as somebody who also has found some incredible offshore resources. Yeah. I mean, it's really a pleasure to get to work with them and you know, including we have a couple people who are really part of our, like really important parts of our startup CPG team who deliver incredible work and they're in fun and enthusiastic members of the team. And they want the same things all of us want, which is to, you know, provide for their families and grow in their careers and do interesting, meaningful work. So uh, I hope that's a lesson that everybody can think about. And I, I mean, I always tell people actually thinking about that next ops hire or something that it can be, could be somewhat routine, but very time intensive. Think about things like Upwork because yeah. you can get just such incredible people. This is a big, beautiful world that we live in and there is incredibly experienced talent all over. Many people even abroad will work on your time zone, but I mean, it can give you a huge lift so that you can focus your dollars these days on more other areas and, you know, just give your brand a better chance of succeeding. So I appreciate that. And I've taken inspiration from you on that as well. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary for now. This time is blown by, but I also have a special treat for you. I don't know if it'll be a treat, but I'll play it. I wrote a song for you in the minute while I was waiting for you to, to join the podcast here. So I think this is definitely going to become your jingle. So let me see if I can get it going here. Since you are the ukulele master, I've got my ukulele out here now. Well, I've got Leon from Daybreak, and I hope I'm gonna grow, and I know I'll do really well, and the results are gonna show, and before you know it, I'll be selling really well, and I've got cash coming in, and I'm ranking real high, come on, ring the bell. Love it. <laughs> okay, that's enough. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work out when we do actual. I, I always have one within arm's reach, too. There you go. All right, let's get one from you also. Now, yeah, let's hear something from you. You can show us how it's really done. Yeah, hey, Leon, thank you so much for joining us. And if people want to connect with you, so Leon's email is leon at daybreak.agency. You can also find him on the Startup CPG Slack. Any other good ways for people to get in touch with you if they're interested to chat more? Those are definitely the best ones. So I usually, I try to end my day. I'm very proud of the fact that I like end my days always with less than like 20 emails, like unread maps. So like I will always get back to people, even if we get slammed, it takes me. So yeah, feel free to reach out. All right, great. Leon Lewis from Daybreak Agency. Thank you so much for sharing all of these insights. It was just fun to catch up with you. And I think anybody listening to this is going to have a much better chance of being successful themselves. So thank you everyone for listening. And don't forget, it would mean the world if you leave a review. Please do it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Leon. Bye-bye. 
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast today, it would really help us out if you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I am Daniel Scharf. I'm the host and founder of Startup CPG. Please feel free to reach out or add me on LinkedIn. If you're a potential sponsor that would like to appear on the podcast, please email partnerships at startupcpg.com. And reminder to all of you out there, we would love to have you join the community. You can sign up at our website, startupcpg.com, to learn about our webinars, events, and Slack channel. If you enjoyed today's music, you can check out my band. It's the Super Fantastics on Spotify Music. On behalf of the entire Startup CPG team, thank you so much for listening and your support. See you next time.